So, uh, Christmas Day has passed, but Christmas Tide is still going, and will continue to, to go on for a full 12 days um, until we reach Epiphany. And um, so I want to encourage you, if you've begun uh, a pattern of feasting and rejoicing, that you just like let it ride until Christmas tide is over. Um, and uh, we are, uh, we're, still, we're still in Christmas, uh, the season of Christmas, as the church has understood it, um, because uh, it's worthy of 12 days of celebration and feasting. So continue to celebrate, continue to feast in, in Jesus' name. Um, I... I do find that uh, personally that Christmas Day is a bit of a relief, um, and uh, as a parent, it's a bit of a relief because the demands and the requests and the desires which have been verbalized and verbalized reach a fever pitch in December. They kind of start to ramp up in Halloween, and as awareness of Christmas starts to enter the, you know, the collective imagination and... um, as the social imaginary of Christmas in our home begins to grow, so does the, the desires and demands. And all of a sudden there's, you know, by the time we reach Christmas Day, it's like, you know, we've got, we've, there's a tension that's been building up. And so that tension gets resolved in a really beautiful way when the presents are open. The, finally, the, the requests kind of stop for a while. And there's this kind of window of time in between requests where it's just happiness and satisfaction and playing and sharing, and it's really nice as a parent, it's like, gah, <laughs> finally, I can be satisfied, my children are satisfied, everyone breathes a sigh of relief, um, and, um, and then, like, the, it's just weird, because the win- that window is kind of short, it's this short window of time, there's not a lot of overlap, and then the, the, the birthday requests begin, um, and so, it is hard to satisfy little humans, I found, um, but it's, the thing is that as an adult, um, it's hard to satisfy big humans too. And um, our, uh, our desires change as we grow up. And it's, it's harder to have those desires met with wrapped presents under a Christmas tree. It really is. But the desires are just as intense. Right? And some of us love relationships. We just, we cannot get enough friendship time. We cannot get enough uh, it, romantic intimacy. We cannot get enough camaraderie and times out. And whenever we come away from a really special connection with someone we love or someone we love to be with, someone who shares our background, someone who really understands us, or even cross-cultural friendships, some of us are really satisfied in those. And for some of us, it's like the more you love relationships, the harder it is to feel satisfied. From, from your relationships, right? If you really love friendships or if you really love romance, if you, want, if you love feeling connected, it's actually kind of hard to feel satisfied. It's hard to keep up the supply for the internal demand. Some of us, though, I think, love achievements. And as much as little kids love gifts, we love to feel the satisfaction of having achieved something good. To know beyond a shadow of doubt, I have done good work. People love the work that I did. I really served uh, my department, my customers, uh, my family with, with really good, solid work. We've stacked the, the, the wood stock full because we've been, metaphorically speaking, chopping and chopping and chopping, and we've filled to the brim uh, our, our 
the trophy case with achievements, the wood case with wood. We've, we have achieved. We have done well. Um, we graduate, right? We hit our sales numbers. We get to the next stage of work or of education. And then it's, there's a short window of satisfaction, and we go out to celebrate, and then it's back at it. There's like more to do. What have you done for me lately? If the more you love your work, the more you love that sense of achievement, the more you love to win trophies and get degrees, it's weird the harder it is to feel satisfied from that achievement, right? Some of us, it's, it's meaningful experiences. I was very hard on social media last week. I want to walk that back a little bit. But a lot of us really love Instagram-worthy moments, don't we? Or some of us, we love those experiences, whether they be experiences overseas or, you know, climbing, climbing mountains somewhat dangerously without equipment or whatever. And, like, we love those experiences. That are, they're, they blow our minds to the degree that we, we don't share them on social media because we don't want our friends to hate us because we've had so much meaning in our life. Um, but we love those meaningful experiences where we kind of transcend. And, and what's fun, just like with relationships and achievements, the more you love, the more you love meaningful experiences where you're encountering the international or encountering nature or encountering an amazing concert, the harder it is to actually feel satisfied from the amount of meaningful experiences you're getting. So there's a short window of satisfaction, you feel full, and then it's like, mm, start to not feel full anymore. The demand grows because you're not satisfied. So um, it's somewhat like this. I, uh, I've noticed that like the Christmas tree we got this year, for whatever reason, has this unquenchable thirst for water. Have you ever had a Christmas tree like this where like you fill up a big 32-ounce super glug of water and like you dump the whole thing in and then like three hours later you have to do it again it's like what are you doing with this water Christmas tree um, it's never satisfied there's always a need for more water and sometimes the human life is kind of like that I'm always dumping in more relationships I'm always dumping in more achievements I'm always dumping in more meaningful experiences because I love it so much and, and it's always it's never, it never stays full it never stays full, does it? What you most love, it's most, hard, it's, it's, it's most difficult to be satisfied in that. So is there a way out of the cycle? Is there, we need insights, don't we, on this hunger, satisfaction, life that we're in. Otherwise, what's the alternative? We stay on a treadmill our whole life. And we just waver between satisfaction and dissatisfaction. And we kind of end our life somewhere in between the two. We, kinda need, we need a way out. We need, a, we need a, a way off the hamster wheel. Otherwise, we'll, we'll work 90-hour weeks until we die. Or we'll always, be, we'll always be in codependent relationships. Or we'll always be putting our life in danger to experience meaning. We'll bleed so we can know we're alive, as the song goes. We need some insights on our hungers, on our satisfaction. So <clears throat> Christianity speaks directly into this dynamic and in this deep condition that we all live in. And so um, I want to uh, ask three questions today and look at a foundational letter that was written uh, that, that brings insights to the Christian story um, to see 
what insights Christianity and, and the person of Jesus has into our condition. So I want to ask three questions. Number one, why are human appetites so large? What, why the intensity level? Okay? Number two, why are those appetites so unsatisfied so often? And number three, what can be done about it? So number one, why are human appetites so large? Why the volume and intensity of appetites? Number two, why are those appetites so unsatisfied? And then finally, what can be done about it? What has been done about it? So, um, uh, this letter that we're going to look at was written to skeptics. So wherever you're at in your Christian journey, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, whether you're a seeker, whether you're a skeptic, or a committed Christian, I want you to know that this letter was written to people who were full of doubts about God's existence, full of doubts about Jesus, really in between belief and unbelief, suspended between the two. And so I just wanted to let you know that because maybe you're at a place where you're like, I don't believe the Bible's true. I want you to know that this letter is nevertheless written for people who are on a spiritual journey as you are. For those of you who are committed to the Christian faith, I want you to know that this letter um, is, has been the fountainhead of spiritual life and insight for the Christian church uh, for millennia. And it has been, for, for many theologians, their favorite gospel, where they've gotten the most out of it. So it's, really spirit, it's a spiritually rich text, but it's also a text that's accessible and sensitive to and responsive to the questions of a skeptic. So turn with me to John 1, if you haven't already. And let's ask the question, <clears throat> why are human appetites so large? Why are they so ravenous? Why are they so hard to quench? Um, now John's insight, John who wrote this, he had a testimony to, to write about the person of Jesus, and he's, this is his testimony. His insight is that our appetites are so intense is because we come from God. We, we come out of God. And so there is an eternal intensity to our appetites. Let's read um, the first two verses. In the beginning was the Word. And when John says the Word, he's referring to the person of Jesus. Um, Jesus Christ, who, who is both fully God and fully man. Um, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. So uh, I want you to, to read these verses and picture a fully satisfied family. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit operating together as a really healthy team at work would operate together. If, you're, if you've ever been in a healthy team at work, you know that there's a lot of playfulness. You know that there's lots of joy. You know that there's lots of creativity. You know that there is incredible delight just to be in the presence of one another. Or if you've ever seen or been a part of a healthy family, you can see the interplay between the, the, um, the father and the mother and the children, and there's a lot of delight, and there's a lot of creativity, and there's a, there's, it's almost a cauldron of love. It's overflowing, and you can't stop it from overflowing with love, with creativity, with energy, and with life. And what John is presenting, and what the rest of the scriptures attest to, is that the Trinitarian life is like a really healthy family or a really healthy team at work. There's joy. There's, it, this is what's interesting. 
everybody um, has an identity. So you have the word, Jesus Christ, maintains a sense of self. Nevertheless, there's a sense of deep unity as well. And whenever individuality and unity can go together, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of creativity. And most of the time, it spills out, does it not? Most of the time, it spills out. Olivia looks at our wedding picture, and she's like, how come, where are the pictures of me? And like, Olivia, you came after the wedding. Yes, there was joy at the wedding. Yes, there was life at the wedding. There was love. And guess what? You've come out of that. You weren't there at the beginning, but you've come out of that. And, And that is somewhat of what John references about human existence itself. When he says in verse 3, all things were made through him. Not just humans, but all creation was made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Everything in creation, everything in the universe, is an overflow from the joy and the life and the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was presented in verses 1 and 2. And so, nothing was made that did not come out of that Trinitarian life. But what's more, it says, in in him, verse 4, in him and Jesus, in the word, was life. In him was life itself. And the life was the light of men. Specifically, our life, human life, is qualitatively different from the rest of creation. It was given to us by Jesus himself. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're enjoying this incredible unity. And from that unity and from that joy and from that life overflows into creation. And Jesus, as the representative of God, partakes in creative activity where he brings human beings into life. And there's this continuum that John presents of you have the Trinity and you have Jesus as part of that Trinity and then you have creation and you have humans. And there's no breakage. There, there, there's unity. It's organic and beautiful and overflowing. That is the way it was meant to be. That is the natural order of things. And that is why our appetites are so incredibly large and intense. Because our appetites have an eternal quotient to them. Our appetites have a God-sized, God-like intensity to them that cannot simply be satisfied in a biological way, in a biochemical way, in a social way, in a um, psychological way. Um, Our uh, desires, our drives, are even deeper than that. And so you are not a biochemical accident that simply must find good satisfaction. There is a transcendent, eternal quality to your life. There's a transcendent, eternal meaning to your life. And if you cut that off, you are not going to be satisfied. I love how Augustine says it. He says, men go abroad to admire the heights of mountains, the mighty waves of the sea, the broad tides of rivers, the compass of the ocean, and the circuits of the stars, yet pass over the mystery of themselves without a thought. And isn't that true? Whether it's the mountains and sea and ocean that we're looking to for mystery or relationships 
achievements, meaningful experiences. We see mystery in them. Do we see the mystery in the fact that we desire so much from them and are so uh, hard to satisfy even when we get all we want? So, why are human appetites so large? Well, the insight of, of, the, of, the, of the Gospel of John is that we came from God, and it's that simple. We came from God, and we, have a, we carry the stamp of God around with us, and we're supposed to be part of that continuum of God and Jesus and us. That's where we get our appetites from. We came from God. So why are human appetites so unsatisfied? Why do, most of the time, why do our appetites go unsatisfied? And I'll just start by telling a story about when I was, um, I went on a study tour to the UK, and it was great. It was so much fun. We got to see castles and cathedrals, and, you know, we got to study uh, the history of, of civilization and the history of the Christian church and get lectures along the way, and um, it, was, it was really, really interesting. But one of the, the frustrating parts of the, of the whole trip was just, like, how bad the food was. I don't know if you've ever been to the... Has anyone been to the UK and experienced this? If you don't have, like, tons of money um, to buy the imported Midwestern food, you, you have to eat English food, and it's not awesome. And it's really expensive. Like, I had to, re, I had to give, like, you know, lots and lots of money to get food that was like lukewarm and overcooked and bad and bland and beige colored. Um, and part of the problem was that I was eating in the UK as a Chicagoan, right? The food here's really good. People, love, people in Chicago love to create good food just because. Not, not because it's gonna make them rich and not because it's gonna make them famous, but just because they just like love good food. And so they just make good food. And they'll put extra, you know, uh, they'll put extra pizzazz into it and personal, personal like quality into it. At Beans and Bagels at like Montrose and Ravenswood, um, they just go in there and ask them about their cream cheese. And they'll like go on for 15 minutes about how they like took the juice from the artichokes and mixed it in and it's amazing. And that's just one place in Chicago. I can't do it justice. Um, so I was eating in the UK as a Chicagoan. And so my Chicago appetite couldn't be satisfied. Why? Because I was cut off from Chicago cuisine. I was cut off from good Midwestern food, from Portillo's, <laughs> from my wife's cooking, from Stanley's Fresh Market. I was cut off. Now listen, let's read verses 10 through 12 and talk about what's happened to our spiritual appetites. This is still about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He, the creator of the world, the creator of, of all mankind, the one who was the source of our life, was in the world, and the world didn't even recognize him. The world had disowned him. He came to his own, and his, his own people did not receive him. His own people. The people that he had created, the people that he was... He, he held their life in his hands. The life that he had was their light, and they didn't even recognize him. Friends, we've cut ourselves off 
from the source of our life. We've cut ourselves off um, from God. Um, we've disowned our satisfier. And, and I don't know if you've ever been a part of a family where someone's disowned the family. Has ever, or someone's alienated from the family. They're like, I don't, I disown you. I'm leaving. Whether it's a parent, incredibly painful, or whether it's a sibling, incredibly painful. Cuts all the way down deep. Have you ever seen that happen? You ever witnessed that happening? It's devastating. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If your relationships are bad, you, it's very unsa- It's a very unsatisfying life. It doesn't matter how famous you are. If your if your core relationships are shaken, it does. It doesn't matter how much fame you have. It doesn't matter how much experiences you have. You're unsatisfied because you feel the depth of the breakage. Feel the depth of the divorce between people who should be in a partnership with one another, in a family with one another. They're separated. They're disconnected. There's a breach. And we've disowned the one who's given us life. We, we, I don't even recognize you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, someone who, 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 who helped raise you or someone that you deeply love showing up in your life and you looked at them, as if, you looked at them with a blank face and been like, oh, what's your name? I'm busy, I gotta I got, I got go. There's something wrong in our relationship with, with Jesus, the incarnate word. Because it says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It's not just that you don't recognize him, it's that there's a resistance. There's a resistance to the life giver. Our life giver draws close and there's a resistance. We have history. I may have even, maybe if I don't have a Christian background, I don't like what you're saying about me and I don't like the claims that you're putting on my life. And I want some space and I want some distance. His own did not receive him because his own cut themselves off from him. We've all done this to some degree. Um, and it's a deep and a familial tragedy. It's a deep and familial tragedy. Um, because we're not just cut off from the family benefits. We're cut off from the, from the family love. So why are our appetites so unsatisfied? It's because we've cut ourselves off from the chief satisfier. You know, our, back to the Christmas tree. It's a beautiful tree. Okay, and it's, we've put sentimental ornamentation up and down this tree, and we've put classic Christmas lights up and down this tree, and yeah, we water the tree, but do you know that it is cut off from its primal source of love and life and nurture? So we do our best to imitate fruit by putting ornaments on. We do our best to imitate the rooting system by giving it water, but the fact is that the tree is dying. And it started dying the moment it was cut off from its life source. And it brought in, you know, vestiges of evergreen life. But the fact is that the evergreen life is ebbing away slowly. And it's ultimately going to end in, it's going to end in the death of the tree. The tree has already started to die. Because it's been cut off. And no amount of watering and no amount of ornamentation can't, can, can, we, we can't compete with the original setting of the tree, the original evergreen setting of the tree where it was irrigated and it was connected to nutrients, where it would continue to receive evergreen life year after year. It's been cut off from that. And the tree is dying. We have been cut off from our source of life. 
And that is why no matter how much water we pour into our souls through relationships, meaningful experiences, achievements, it can't compete because it's not eternal. It can echo the eternal. But it cannot quench our eternal satisfaction, our, our eternal hungers. There is diminishing returns. Have you ever experienced this? The diminishing returns of the thing that you most want? At first, it starts by blowing your mind because it's amazing. Oh, I can't believe this new friend that I have. I cannot believe this new romance. I cannot believe this. I finally got my benchmark. I got first place. I finally graduated from grad school. I finally am in the job that I love. I finally reached the peak of Kilimanjaro. It was teasing me for so long and finally reached the peak of it. But there's diminishing returns. It's like, okay, well, what's, not, what's next? We'll have to do it again. But then the next time, it's not as awesome. It's enough to drive you mad. <laughs> Augustine again says this, there is no rest to be found where you seek it. Seek what you seek, but it lies not where you seek it. You seek a happy life in the land of death, but it is not there. How can you find a happy life where there is no life? So why are our appetites so large? We came from God. and He gave us eternal intensity in our appetites. Why are those appetites so unsatisfied? We've cut ourselves off from God and, and nothing else can quite fill our souls. So, number three, what can be done about it? In short, Jesus moved in. You ever have someone crash your apartment? Someone who's like, oh cool, can I just stay on the couch for a night? Uh, someone who's like, oh can I stay in the guest room? And you know, it's not just them staying on the couch. It's they're bringing everything with them. They're bringing their whole persona with them. And they're going to fill your little apartment with it. And they're going to eat at your breakfast table. And it could be great or it could be kind of frustrating. But you know, when someone moves in to your apartment or moves next to you, things are going to change. When someone moves and lives near you and shares your life, shares your team, when, you, when someone new comes on your team, it's like they're... Aura is going to get up in your business and it's going to be different. It's going to change your life. Jesus moved in. Jesus got close. The verse 14 says, the word became flesh. This is the story of Christmas. This is why we spend 12 days celebrating it. The life giver who has been with God from the very beginning, who was not created, who was the source of all life, moved into human life to experience human life, to be part of human life, so that he would never not have to. He lived a historic human life, died the death we should have died, was raised to life by God, sent his spirit so that, so that he could be present to anyone who would receive him, even today, even this morning, even this Sunday. The person of Jesus offers himself to every single person here and around the world. He came to live among us so that he would never not have to. The word became flesh and he um, dwelt among us. He moved in. He got close and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He brings all his stuff with him, all his grace, all his life-giving power. He's like, I'll just bring it to you. It would be, and I know this is getting weird, but it would be as if, 
It would be as if the evergreen forest from which our Costco tree, Christmas tree came from, took over our living room and became our living room. Instead of moving the tree, the, the, the forest just came to the tree and reconnected to the tree and gave the tree its life back. The tree could thrive again. And we would have to move out of the apartment. <laughs> back to the incarnation, which is less weird, but still baffles us, doesn't it? How can the person of God come to a, a land that is not God? How, how could the author of life come to a land, what Augustine calls the land of death, the land of the dying, the land of unsatisfaction? I don't know, but he did. Jesus went through the birth canal and, and lived a normal human life, but lived it as God. And he did that for you. He did that to reconnect you with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to satisfy you with life. He came. He brought heaven to earth. And he did so in a way that you could consume it. In a way that you could receive it. So that you wouldn't be blown away. So that you would not be consumed. So that you would not be burned. He brought the life-giving power of God to you again. Just like he did at the beginning. Because he's madly in love with you. And he is seeking you. Whether you're here and you are not a Christian or you are a Christian, you need to know that Jesus loves you. And that is why he came to earth. That is why he pitched his tent among us. That's why he moved in. It's because he loves you. Do you know that he sees you in your unsatisfaction? He sees your hungry heart. He sees your unsatisfied soul. And he very much wants to satisfy you. He is still overflowing with the love and joy and life of God. And he wants to give that to you. And he wants to fill you with it. However you feel about God, whether you feel distant from God or close to God, just know that. I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. I want you to know that Jesus is for you. I want you to know that Jesus wants you to be fully satisfied in him. He knows that is what is best for you. And he invites you to receive it. He won't force you to receive it, but he moved in with all of his love and life and, and he brought it close so that you could receive it. Uh, you know, I think some of us work for love. I think we do. I think we work really hard at our relationships and really hard at our jobs and really hard in our studies. I think we work really, really hard because that heart, I think a lot of us want to be loved. I think a lot of us really want to receive love. And so we work really hard for it because we think, if I could just become this type of person, if I could just do this type of thing, then finally I would be loved. Finally, I would be accepted into a certain circle or I would be recognized. Do you know that you can stop that now by simply receiving the love that is there for you? Do you know that you can simply get loved this morning? Do you know that you can simply get loved this week without earning it? Grace is opposed to earning. And Jesus brings what John calls grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. And that is the nourishment that we need. That is the nourishment of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a way that is digestible, in a way that brings us life. Grace upon grace upon grace is there for you now because of how much Jesus loves you. No matter what state you're in, grace upon grace is there for you. And you cannot earn that. Yes, you can participate in that. Yes, you can give it. You can, you can actually give effort to receiving that grace, but you cannot earn it. 
And if you have been earning love, if you have been seeking to earn love, I want to invite you off that hamster wheel. I want to invite you off that treadmill. I want to invite you to receive the love that Jesus brought when he became incarnate. Finally, Augustine says this, cast yourself on him, have no fear. He will not draw back and let you fall. And then he turns this into a prayer. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. One of the most practical ancient ways to practice this is finding time in your calendar to get alone with God, where you can ponder the love of Jesus for you, where you can listen to him, where you can receive from him. I would encourage you to use John 1 as a springboard into prayer. Turn John 1 into prayer. Ask Jesus to come close to you. Ask him to satisfy you. Bring him your unsatisfaction. That's where it starts. Bring him your hungers. Instead of bringing your hungers to your friends, to the person that you love, to your work, bring your hungers to Jesus and ask him to satisfy you. And I tell you, friends, that grace upon grace is there in that quiet moment. In that solitary moment that looks so ordinary, the person of Jesus Christ will meet you and he will minister his love and his life to you. Because we are restless. And until we turn to the life giver, our souls will be, rest, uh, will be restless until we found rest in him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.